Hey everyone, it's Jen, your favorite Nerdiqua, and welcome back to my podcast, Rocking Your Bald. Today, Karen Dayoff stopped by to rock her bald with me, and we are discussing the stigmas of alopecia. Walking through the alopecia journey, we will encounter stigmas for many different people, including ourselves. I hope you enjoy today's conversation, and thanks for listening. So when did you and alopecia become best friends forever? Oh, man, I would have had to have done sometime after my divorce. Mm-hmm. I would say probably like 2016 and 2017 when I finally decided to do away with wigs and just live my authentic self i always felt like i was hiding under the and i know a lot of people don't feel that way they love on their fashion accessory that's they choose to wear them some days and not wear them other days or choose to wear them every day but i always felt very self-conscious like can someone tell it's gonna fall off it's itchy and fine like, and i was really active at the time i was a personal trainer and so like oh goodness to keep a wig on while you're like bouncing around during pants like so I would say sometime when I finally decided no more wigs, I just went out. And it took a while getting new jobs and things like that. There's always that bit of a hurtful at first where it's like, well, they're going to think what they think. That's on them, not on me. Right. Um, and I've worked with a lot of kids, which we all know. Kids are very honest. The honesty that comes from the innocence of a child. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It can be very daunting at times, but yeah, I worked with a lot of kids and kids that weren't even from America. And so they'd never seen a bull girl ever. And, oh, wow. and a lot of them had never, like, they didn't notice I was bold until weeks after they were in my class because I would bend down, tie their shoe or something, and they'd be like, teach me all your pants. Like that's, that's so cute. Teachers, you like so yeah. yeah, like uh yeah, you've been in my class for like a month. And how are you not realizing? Uh I mean I guess their perspective looking up, they just couldn't tell. I don't know. So strange. And then of course one of pets you and I remember having an experience, and this wasn't with a child, this was an adult at a local church I was with at the time. Completely harmless interaction, first and foremost. I just happened to go to church and it was someone that I was an acquaintance with. And we just saw each other and said, hey, yeah. And he was a fellow baldy. So <laughs> if that was a cool thing, it's like, you, you. Yeah. <laughs> he asked me a question and I can't remember the question because it was some years ago. What the, whatever the question was, my response was, well, I don't have any eyelashes. So and then I went into the rest of my answer and then it was like his eyes opened because he went, you don't. And then he really looked at me and realized, oh, wow, you you don't. I thought you did. It's like he still saw the lashes, if you will. I guess there's something I've never researched this. This might be a cool thing to research is how the brain recognizes certain features because we're used to seeing that every day. So we don't yeah. think of the uncommon, 
uncommonality or uncommonness, whatever the correct word is, that someone doesn't have eyelashes or eyebrows. Yeah, that's interesting. I saw a photo recently on Facebook and it was a face upside down that looked beautiful, perfect model face. And it said we're trained to recognize certain things in certain orders and then you flip it upside down. And it's like this grotesque, just terrible, but it looked beautiful from upside down. And then you flipped it to right side up and it's like, oh my goodness. But we're trained to recognize things in a certain order and in a certain way. So along along those lines where it's like our brains are just like, this is how things should look or normally look or whatever. And so filling those blanks. Yeah, we do. Have you heard of or ever read the book by Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? I haven't read the whole thing, but I think I did start it at one point. Similar to that, there's a illustration in there about how the eyes see something. It's the young woman, old woman drawing. Mm -hmm. What does your eye see first? Do you see the young woman or the older woman? And it's basically discussing how people communicate and how one person can see the young woman and another person can see the old woman, but then they're both looking at the same thing, just having two different perspectives. They're both right. And then learning how to communicate, well, this is how I see it. How do you see it type of thing? But yes. it's to what you're saying. It's what we're, our brains are trained to see and view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But also I feel that can go the opposite way as well, where you're trained to see everyone with immaculate eyebrows, eyelashes, whatever, and then don't have it. It's glaringly obvious. I think it can go both ways. Like, oh, that girl, what is going on? You know? Okay. I mean, I luckily have my eyebrows and eyelashes. I don't know how. I really don't know how. I was at the alopecia of Palooza, like last month, I think it was. I was one of the very few allocations there that had their eyebrows. Wow. Yeah, I my don't... eyebrows are microbladed and I don't have lashes. Yeah, I don't know how I don't. I didn't for a long time, but then I don't know. But along with that comes all the old lady like plucking up the beard and the mustache. You know what I mean? Like how old ladies get that. <laughs> I've talked about this before in other episodes with other guests, especially with alopecia areata. She's just a very ratchet thing because for me with my alopecia I still get the little chin hairs too but yet I don't have brows or lashes but I get the little chin hairs I get the little mustache here on the side and that I have to every day make sure it's not showing <laughs> when I'm doing my makeup in the mirror but yet it won't migrate to where I really need it <laughs> I know it's like wait I still have to deal with this hormonal oddity that I can't deal with the other normal things. Yeah, it's really strange. The, the one knee here on my left knee that I get once in a while. Like, can you just go north? Just go north. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's so strange. It's very odd. Now, I have to shave. I have pretty much all my hair except for not a complete head of hair. So I guess that's very did you ever get official an official diagnosis of your alopecia? Is it alopecia tortalis or areata? It's changed throughout the year. I started areata, then it progressed to totalis, then it progressed to universalis, and then I guess it's been areata for a while because I've always had patchy head hair. Mm. Like, well, okay, odd, odd, oddly enough, a bunch of treatments in middle school, it finally came back in. From probably age 14 to age 22, I had hair. 
like sufficient enough to not have to do any odd like covering or you know I had, yeah. I would have spots here and there and I would just get the cortisone injection and throw right back and that's fine and then at the age of 22 it all fell out again came back in like one other time but since then it's been pretty much yeah, that's similar to me. I was diagnosed with Ariata when I was five, had that for most of my life till my mid-20s, then it progressed to Tortalis, and then finally Universalis. And I guess it's Ariata with the little sprouts that I get. <laughs> I, it's so strange. It's such an odd like, so. so a question I wanted to ask you, because one of the things that we deal with is stigmas of alopecia. And there are different opinions on this. With your experience, would you consider alopecia a disease or a condition? I would say condition. I agree. Why would you say condition? I feel like conditions are not negatively affecting your health. Yeah. And not having hair is not necessarily negatively affecting your body. Maybe your mental health, of course. But physical body... It's fine. Now, your autoimmune system is whack. That's a whole different thing. But I feel like a disease is something you have to treat. You have to do something about it so that you're not in pain or you're itching or whatever. Whatever happens to be. So I feel like diseases have to be medicated versus a condition. I don't have to do anything if I don't do alopecia the rest of my life. I don't ever have to do any treatment. But that's the way I look at it. I don't know if that's the correct way, but. No, I would agree with you because I think when people hear the word disease and because of the way we look, people automatically think we have cancer, which is not correct. And you're absolutely right. We don't have to do anything if we don't want to. There are some treatment options out there, but it's our choice to participate in that. Aside from the hair loss, in most cases, most of us are healthy. We eat right. We take care of our bodies. We can go out and run in 5K if we wanted to right now. We can go hiking, rollerblading. It, it, it doesn't mean our lives are completely thrown off course to where we can't do anything. I'm trying to be respectful of how I say this. But yeah, I would agree. I look at it more as a condition than a disease. Mm -hmm. And I feel like disease has such a negative connotation. And I think it's they don't get alopecia on the negative thing anymore. Maybe prior, I would thought it was disease and a terrible one at that. Um, but now, like, it's just a condition. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I agree with that. With your experience, I want to go back a little bit because you said that you fully embraced her when you stopped wearing the wigs. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What were you going through? when you started wearing the wigs in your journey and then how you came to that moment where you're like, forget the wig, I'm done. Yeah. So the wearing of the wigs was super tough. I was engaged to be married and my hair started falling out eight weeks ago. Oh, wow. And this was with the person who always wanted me, in my perception, wanted me to look quite normal and perfect as it was. And so I knew when I decided, however many weeks before the wedding, like there was no way I was going to be able to cover what was going on. And I also didn't want my hair to look scraggly and just not great. You want to look great on your wedding day. And I was not to the point where I wanted to shave my head. Um, I did not want to look like that in front of all the people that were at the wedding. So I got a wig and 
that's when the wigs start. Um, and then from there, throughout that whole marriage journey, I had lots of different wigs and lots of styles. I, I think I got more compliments on my wigs than I ever have gotten on my actual natural hair when I had it from age 14 to 22. Wow. I stopped in stores all the time like, your hair is amazing. Where do you get it done? Where's your stylist? And I'm just like, uh. <laughs> about that? <laughs> yeah, it happened all the time. And now looking back at those photos, I'm like, what were those people thinking? That hairstyle was terrible. But at the, the time, it was sort of like a, one of those graduated bobs with shorter in the back and longer in the front. That's like, a cute look. It's a cute look. And it had like cute little highlights. It's a really dark brown. And people loved it. Nonstop, I would get compliments. And I just always felt so weird. Um, and I guess I can't remember the day or the time or the exact decision of stopping to wear the wigs. But I mean, I had to have been after my divorce where I was just like, you know what? I am really much happier with who I am without a wig. Like I said, I feel like I was hiding. I never, I hate to feel unauthentic. And like I said, I know other people, wigs are very authentic for them, but for me, it just wasn't. And so it's like, okay, here we go. And I had a great support system. I had a church family that was amazing. I had tons of friends. And my friends, you know, without my wig, like they'd come to my house and I have. So little by little, I got more comfortable. Um, but yeah, I heard once someone interviewing me for a new job, they actually asked me, what do you think the children are going to do about you not having hair? It's like, life's part of the interview, first of all. Mm. Like, this has nothing to do with the job. If the kids have an issue with it, I'll take care of it, but it shouldn't impede me getting the job if I'm qualified. So I felt pretty discriminated against, which was an odd feeling, and I'm sure it was an insane question. And I think she was more being like cautious for my sake. You know, the kids are probably gonna ask, and it's like, well, great. I've been dealing with this for however many years. I'm perfectly fine with that. It's not a big deal. So, but yeah, the, the throwing off the wigs, and, and the final piece to the the wig thing was I had a friend reach out and say, "No, any place that my friend could get wigs, then." I was like, you know what? If she's similar complexion and, and wants brown hair, I will give her all my wigs. She can throw them away. She can keep them, whatever. Like, so I gave away all my wigs. And that was the final piece of like, here we go. Wow. And I've never had one since. So, yeah, that was the final nail in the coffin, whatever. Closed chapter of the book, whatever. That was just the end. I think that's beautiful. Whenever you came to that point, the first thing you wanted to do was give. Yeah. That I like, I really love that, that you gave away wigs to someone who really needed it because you came to that point of, I'm good. We're done. You started losing your hair just before your wedding. Mm -hmm. And on your wedding day, you were in this moment of, I want to look good for my wedding, but that I'm not ready to go bald. I don't want any of these people to see me in this state, condition, whatever you would like to call it. What's going through your head at that time? Because I lost all of my hair in my late 20s, but I was not in that season of life. What was that like for you? 
it was really tough. Um, at the time, I had been, my hair was all pulling out from the back. So the sides of the front still looked okay, and I could pull it in like a colonial boy ponytail, you know, a low, low colonial boy ponytail. Yeah, I, ha- I had one on the lower base on the left side here was really big, and I had the trend-setting experience that never trended with my hair up in a clip and a very low, low, low as possible. Oh, okay. so, yeah, I understand that. We were trendsetters, you know, the trends didn't catch on, but we tried. Um, so I would still try and cover my, with my real hair. I tried to cover it as long as possible, but I just knew it wouldn't look like, I knew I would look back at the pictures and at that moment, you're thinking, this is forever, you know? And so I know I'll look back at the pictures and regret just like the way my real Um, and I had really nice hair before it started falling. And so like, well, what can I get that looks similar to what it looked like before it started falling out? One positive is that I was able to style it the night before. So I didn't have to like go to a stylist and spend hours that morning having them do stuff to it. And it looked really nice. So that was a plus. Like I was able to style it the night before. But I also remember feeling really sad about that's what it was going to be. You know, a wig on my wedding. Like. And I'd sort of agree that going, like having made the decision weeks and weeks prior, that's what it was going to be. Um, but completely it, contrary to what you had always envisioned. Right. Exactly. We always envisioned X, Y, and Z on our wedding, wedding day. And like there were other things that we were complaining about as well that had nothing to do with hair. There was, you know, budget constrictions and all the things we'll have to go. But looking at the pictures and everything, though, they came back, it looked natural and I loved pictures and it didn't look like wiggy to me i'm glad looking back that i made that decision but it was not an easy one um and i didn't know if people would notice or not i knew people that were close to me obviously knew but i don't know if the common person going to my wedding had it probably well not to what you said earlier when you were still wearing wigs how you would be very self-conscious about the wig what it looked like how it was sitting I'm sure that especially in the beginning because I know I went through this I was very careful how I moved my head because I was afraid that it might move and it would reveal it's not real yes yes that happened to me I first started teaching out of school in 2010 I was wearing wigs and I quickly realized I was not going to wear the same wig every day it was going to become very apparent that I had something going. Yeah. <laughs> I had students that would come in and be like, your hair was long yesterday. Now it's short, but now it's long again. I don't understand. They wouldn't have any clue that it was good. So I would explain it to them. And then throughout the years, it just became more of a fun thing, which style that we could wear that day. But originally, like, am I going to be able to just pretend this isn't a wig or is that too much? And it ended up being way too much for me to have to pretend that it was big, if that makes sense. I finally just embraced that I was wearing wigs. I still didn't want those students. They were in high schoolers. I was like 25 at the time. So I was like still kind of intimidated by this high school age group anyways from... You weren't a high schooler that long ago yourself. Exactly. Exactly. So you still have that whole like... And you have your spouse like feeding into this lack of confidence, feeding into this like, wow looking normal type thing so it's like all right and I was in a private school a little more wealthy Mm -hmm. a 
group that I was not used to belonging to anything. And it was like a really rough time in my life in general. So it was like all the things just made it to where the wig was sort of working. I guess. So you were, yeah, you were really out of your comfort zone. You're in a community and an age group where you're thinking, I was just here not that long ago. Mm-hmm. I'm in a community trying to be respectful here, people class that I've not experienced before, don't know how they're going to respond to me. Right. And then I have a partner at home that instead of helping me and pouring words of encouragement into me, he's just causing me to feed on all of the insecurities I have to deal with 24-7, 365 days a year in my current state. Right. And he had come from a similar community to what I was going into. Mm. And I had sort of been in that community growing up, but so we're both Christian. We both went to private school, but I was like the Christian school kid. The I got a scholarship to be in the Christian school that was because my parents worked there. Um, and I was going into this new private school where it was like, these kids are really wealthy. They're used to everyone looks the same. Everything is the same. They wear uniforms, you know, everything creates this world of like normalcy that let's be honest but i felt very thrown into that same and and it kind of brought back a lot of memories middle school when i did and so i wasn't fitting in first of all that wasn't in the same um what's the word like wealth category as my friends first of all because i was the poor kid in the the private school yep and so i I wasn't in that level so that was already a notch like a eh, strike and then i didn't have hair another strike I also had zero figure at the time, like as thickly as you can be. (laughs) So there was that as well. So I had all these insecurities, whether rightfully founded or not, definitely not, not rightfully founded, but as a middle schooler, that happened. So I think going back into that high school where I was teaching, I think a lot of those insecurities came back and I wanted to feel that acceptance this time. Mm-hmm. And part of that was the hair piece was a huge part. Uh, but then eventually it's like, well, you can't keep up the charade that this is the wig. That's exhausting. And I was like, it really is. Yeah. So no, like, you're going to have to give up the charade. When I was in my wig phase to what you're saying, I and I completely understand and relate to it. The goal was to look normal, that nothing was wrong, that everything was okay. And yet at the same time, I'm tormented on the inside because I have to pretend that I'm okay when I'm not okay, instead of just being honest with myself. And that's a journey in itself, I think, with healing. Yeah. Coming to the point where alopecia is okay, I don't really know when it switched or why it switched or how it switched. I think it was really just having a bunch of community around me that made me feel fine with it. I don't know that it's just me internally finally feeling fine with it. I think a lot of the external forces helped me finally feel fine with it. It was a long journey. It really was. And even now, though, my friends are like, Karen, you're not my bald friend. That's not what I think of. Like, you're not like, oh, that's my bald friend. They're like, you're just my friend. I don't think of you as the girl without Alicia that is my friend. They're like, that's not how we define it. And, and that's really awesome when they say things like that. I picture myself as that person in their mom. 
It's the same thing with my friend group that I have now that I'm very blessed to have in my life. They just see me as Jen. I'm Jen. And all the things that Jen does doesn't change the way they view me. So the alopecia doesn't, um, what's the right word I'm trying to think here? Yeah, I would say that the alopecia doesn't define me. And because my friends say something very similar when they see me, they just see me and Mm -hmm. they love that part of me. Now, granted, if someone wanted to offend me because of my baldness, yeah, they're going to step up and tell them what life is going to be like for them if they cross that line. That's a completely different thing. But that comes from love and wanting to protect me and making sure I'm okay. But yeah. The people who really do love and care for us, they don't see the alopecia. They just see us. And I think for us, it's very healing as we heal ourselves and getting over these stigmas of alopecia. Yeah. My friend, it's so funny because unless I'm in a totally new environment, for example, in the airport, a lot of times I'll get a lot of stickers. Mm-hmm. No. I live in Baltimore. Baltimore is pretty progressive. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different looks in Baltimore. I don't really get stared at. And if I do, it's for good reason. Like, oh, you're just beautiful. Or, oh, we really love your hairstyle. Like, those reasons. But in an airport, people are staring like horrible, practically. And my friends will notice before I'll I just don't even realize. My friends will get offended for me. And like, did you? We're used to it. Yeah, I don't even notice it anymore. And they're like, I wanted to say something to them. I'm like, who? No one was doing anything. I didn't even notice. I'm happy that they feel that way, want to defend me, but I don't even realize what's going on most of the time. Yeah, that's the thing about us for those who are walking through an alopecia journey. Those of us who choose to walk out as a bald woman or man every day, we already know we've accepted that no matter where we go. And I live in New York and I work in Manhattan. And it's a mixture of both for me. I know every day when I walk out the door, I'm going to get stared. I'm going to get stares because I look very different, even though I'm in a city that says we embrace differences. But yet I still get stares. (laughs) Um, And there are some people who respond very positively toward me. And there are some who don't. And one of one of the things that I talk about a lot, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this is that because of where we've come to in our journey with alopecia and the way we've healed, we've triggered many people's insecurities. And you can tell by the way they talk to you, ask certain questions. And it's not that to what you were talking about in your job interview where this person was trying to be malicious. Right. It's coming from a positive place, but then they just don't know how to articulate asking you, how do you really feel about if people asked you questions about your alopecia. Are you okay with that? Should we put certain parameters in place that will help you? That's a completely different conversation versus the kids might ask you questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't mind if people ask me about it. I don't, what I struggle with is people automatically assuming I have cancer. I just feel it's rude to go up to someone and say, are you going through treatment? How are your treatments going? That's the worst one. Like, how are your treatments going? I've gotten that many times. You jump all the way off the ledge. You're not even giving me the opportunity to say I'm not in treatment. You're just going right for it. It's 
I understand where it comes from and it is a place of concern, but also like, would you say that to someone dealing with some other disease or like condition? Just because you think you know what it is because of the way we look, you think it's okay to say something? I don't understand because I don't think I would do that to someone else. This is the way I frame it when conversations like this come up. No one would ever go up to a war veteran who's lost a limb in battle going, how are you doing without two arms? You would never do that. Right. Never. Yeah, I feel the same way. It's like, would you go up to a blind person walking with a walking stick and and just be like, so how many things have you bumped into recently? How are you doing? I'm like, what? Girl, is any of this okay? It just boggles my mind that people, and I do know most of the time it comes from a place of, I feel so badly for this person and I'm so sorry they're having to go through this, but I don't know. Like, it just seems so weird to me and so out of place. And <laughs> you always use it to educate people about alopecia. Like, it's fine. I'll tell them I've gotten treatment. A lot of times they have a family member that has been through treatment, and I think they just want to connect with someone else that has been on that same journey as them. Yeah. And then, like, a lot of people want validation or a companion or, or someone to just share the journey with and share some of their pain with. I can empathize, but not to the level of someone actually been through that um i mean i i have had friends that have gone through chemo and, and they'll female friends that have gone through it and they'll reach out in regards to the hair loss part and so yeah. i hope guys uh, making that maybe a little easier transition for them but in, in terms of the illness and the feelings that you feel when you're i mean even to be told you have cancer like that is just so much heavier i think at least for me, it would be so much heavier than an alopecia diet. That's the same way. But I just can't relate to that in the way that people want me to. I understand that because for me, with my journey, I actually lost my mom to cancer. And so being a caregiver to someone of cancer, but then she's looking at me and asking me for help when it comes to the hair loss, too. That was a very interesting um, part of my life because before my mom lost all her hair due to chemo, when we would go to the appointments, people would assume I was a cancer patient because I was already bald and not my mom. They would come into me and, and go, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And I would go, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I have alopecia. It's not cancer. You're actually here to see my mother. So the way we would walk through that together and then her coming to a place where I had the the honor of shaving her head at home and she chose to wear a wig. We found a wig that she was very happy with that actually looked really similar to the haircut she had literally the day since I was born and never deviated from that haircut. Uh, it was easy for me to spot my mom in a store, which I would always make fun of her. And then, haha, joke's on me. Now I have alopecia because she can find oh. me I'm the only bald person in the store, or bald woman, I should say. But yeah, that was very interesting for my mom and I because my mom had most of her hair to a certain point. And then when she was done with the chemo before that the cancer came back again, people assumed it was me and not her and just dealing with that but then someone being a caregiver to someone with cancer i can understand it to a degree but then i can never understand what my mom went through no 
Well, that's one of the stigmas then, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, automatically, as yet, you know, like, oh, I wish that were not a stigma. Yeah. It takes away some of the validation from people that do have cancer. And I think that's something that, that's something I'm always thinking about is me as a woman who's walking through an alopecia journey. How do I encourage someone who is going through cancer? Because I have that unique story part of my life with my mom. But then still, how do we support those with cancer that look at us? Right. Because I can't imagine what they're going through. They have cancer, they're losing hair. Then they look at us, they have alopecia, and they see we're fine. That's the whole thing. Right. Right. And for them, I think, Losing their hair a lot of times is one of the biggest hurdles. Whereas for me, I would be more concerned with what's going on inside my body and what is this medicine wrecking and what about yeah. that? You know, like those other symptoms are things that would be way worse for me, I think. Whereas they're like troopers and could troop through some of these symptoms that I could never about getting through. With my mom and how she was... Her resilience through her whole journey and how long she lived after her initial diagnosis, the strength she had, wow. I, I, I can't fathom how she, how she did it. And my mom and I are actually both Christians too. We're believers. So, yeah. Yeah. yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, but. Yeah. And, th- and that's a whole nother conversation, too. You know, me being with alopecia, which I know you can understand with and I want to talk to you about, too, being a Christian and going through an alopecia journey and believing in healing and restoration. And sometimes God says yes and sometimes God says no for whatever right. reason. But then I'm going all over the place. <laughs> Let's go to that then. So yep. for you, as someone who is also a Christian and walks in the way, yes, I did a Star Wars reference. It's my show. <laughs> um, what, what has that been like for you being a, in a community where one of the things we're taught is that God is the ultimate healer. He will heal you. But then sometimes within our journeys, we don't receive the healing we think we're going to get it comes in a different way yes i think that's something that if you would have asked me back when i first got like universal when i was 12 the healing i was looking for was to get the hair back the healing i was looking for was to look and feel normal and let's be honest even if i would have had the most gorgeous hair i still would have been the very thin semi not the class that I wanted to be well why you know like all these other things still would have been there but at that point that you think if I only had hair boys would be attracted to me all the things as a little bit of lore that you really want to happen in life what would happen is only you look normal yep um, but I think for me what I realized more important and what I think is more important in any aspect of any sort of ethic that you're struggling with it doesn't have to be like a physical thing it's the healing of your inside, the healing of accepting yourself. And those things can be physical things, not having care, but it can also be like, I struggle with this particular thing and I've struggled with it for 25 years now. And I still am not fully accepting of the fact that this is what I struggle with 
before, I'm still not fully accepting of the fact that this is always going to be a part of who God made me. And that may not be an external thing. And so I think the healing is most of the time internal. Most of the time, making sure that your heart is being transformed. Mm-hmm. I understand sometimes we do want the healing of reverse the diagnosis or bring back the hairy. But I know we look for that, but it's because we want the in- the internal pieces that go along with that, I think, are what we really truly want. We, we say we want the external. Now, of course, like with cancer, you want that diagnosis to be reversed or you want the cancer to go away because you want more time with that loved one and there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, oh yeah, um, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's ultimately like giving over that desire to what's going to please God most or what's going to bring the most glory to him even if we don't see it right now. And that's not fun. I can absolutely relate to this. I had all those feelings growing up. I had most of my hair. I had patches and I did things to hide my patches because I wanted to be normal and I wanted people to think I was okay and that nothing was wrong. And then, yeah, when you get into middle school and high school, that is the era where you start dating. Yay, boys are going to like me now. That was not my story. Mine either. Then you're dealing with that. And because I went through so much bullying growing up, I had so many unresolved things that were not healed. And walking through that healing journey now and realizing that, yeah, I'm not going to deny I wanted my hair back for a while. I wanted it to to come back and to get that sense of normal and identity back in my life and just carry on. But then the other things that were attached to it were all the words that I was told growing up by both peers and some adults, not all, about things that were lies. One of the things I talk about is how I had this dysfunction of the lie was the truth and the truth was a lie, where all the lies I really believe that were true. So when someone told me that I was annoying, that I wasn't pretty, that I was ugly, that there was something wrong with me, that... I shouldn't be alive or never been born. Uh, I, I used to believe those things. And the fact that I only had one person, which was my mother, fighting tooth and nail for me, I got into this illusion that because nothing was changing, it must be true. Yeah. And then you place that blame on God. I remember asking, you know, why did you make me like this? I literally, when I was in that 11 and 12 year old stage when my hair was all falling out, I remember thinking, like, if you're a good God, why are you telling me this? And yep. I've never had trials before that. You know, it's hair. But at the time, it was the largest trial I could have faced, right? As, as, a, as a young kid. And mm-hmm. so I remember literally questioning, like, how are you good? And I would think the rapture had happened, like, for whatever reason. And I would freak out that because I wasn't necessarily believing enough. And trusting God enough that I wasn't going to heaven anymore. I had a huge faith crisis, huge, because it was like this does this kind of thing doesn't happen to good Christian people. God didn't do this type of thing to them. Obviously, very correct. But in my mind, it, it was like I don't feel loved anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm worthy. I guess. There was so much tied up into it and 
really low self-confidence, low self-worth, like all of those things started piling onto me. Yeah. But the faith part is what pulled me out of it too. Mm -hmm. I remember there was one scripture in the Bible that I would hear intermittently growing up is God knows every hair on your head. Oh, yeah. And I remember every time I would hear that, I would say to myself, then why isn't he putting back the rest of the hair that should be there? Yeah. Or he must not care about me because he's only got to kill me. Yeah. And then looking in the mirror and just watching your hair slowly and painfully, at least for my journey, from five all the way up till 27 when I lost my hair and just seeing all the sprouts that are still there and just why isn't it growing back? Yeah. You, you can do it. You have the power to do it and you're not doing it. Yeah. Why? That was a lot of my questions before my Why now? Mm-hmm. Why now? This is terrible time. Especially in middle school and high school. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That part too. Before a huge event like a wedding, that was just like, are you kidding me? I've had hair now for almost 10 years with very little issue. Mm-hmm. And that, that that was the bigger part to me. It was like, are you kidding? I had never wanted it to come back more than Derek. I've never been married, so I don't know what that's like. So just hearing your story is very enlightening for me because I can't really imagine that. I've been bald now for so long that whenever that does happen for me in my life, I'm going to be bald. Yeah. If it happens again for me, I'm going to be bald. Me? (laughs) I'm already going to be bald brides and it's going to be fabulous. (laughs) I've already decided like multiple things I want to try to do with my bald head to make it like fabulous. Me too. Why not embrace it? Exactly. I would love to do the the gems all over my head. Yes. Same. Mm-hmm. Love to do the gems over my head. And then here's an interesting thing for us who are bald women that will one day become bald brides. Because I think about it once in a while. How do you wear a veil? Yeah. Well, when I was little, I used to be in the play that our church did around Easter time. And I really wanted to be an angel in the play. But the angels all wore halos. Mm-hmm. Like they all think the back, and I remember it being a huge deal as to like how will parents be able to wear without hair. And I remember like, having to deal with. Like, I wanted to wear the veil and wanted to look normal. I was very self conscious though about the whole thing. And they ended up taking some sort of tape and like, kind of wrapping it clear, elastic type. Oh stuff. my gosh! So I was able, but I was able to keep the halo on then. It was sort of almost like a chin strap to like a, a bike helmet or something, but clear. So that the halo wouldn't fall off and I could look like all the other angels. But I remember that being a big, icky sort of deal that you wouldn't have thought about that. Because like the rest of the play, you're wearing like a head wrap. Like, yeah. But during that angel, how's this girl going to keep her crown on? Because you normally attach it with bobby pins to hair. <laughs> so, yeah. But I don't think people wear veils nowadays with alopecia yeah i look at some hair pieces that come through my feed on social media and i sometimes i have the thought how would i wear that yeah i can't figure that out (laughs) yeah no no 
So for you, with everything that you've shared, how have you overcome the stigmas of alopecia? Because I know you shared a lot of different things, but when you think about it all together, your whole journey, what was that like for you to overcome the stigmas of alopecia and how do you manage that today? I think for me, a huge part of overcoming the stigmas is having the community that supports me no matter what. Now, maybe they're not all over the stigmas of alopecia. Like I said, the friends that get like really angsty about <laughs> my people that's there. I'll slap someone for you. Exactly. I'm going to go out there and tell them what for. And like, oh, okay. No, no need. But I think getting rid of the people that don't accept it. Mm-hmm. I think I've always had an issue in like general of getting rid of the people that are toxic in my life and getting rid of the people that don't accept me for who I am, whether it's alopecia or anything. And so finally being able to be like, you don't serve me well, like, you don't need to be a part of my life. Now, I grew up in a small school, and so, like, everyone was everyone's friend. That was the expectation. So growing up in an environment where everyone had to sort of get along, and Christianity a lot of times is that way, too, where, like, we're all Christians. Everyone gets along. But there are still people that aren't the best people for me, even though we may share the same faith. And that's a whole other conversation in itself. Exactly. Exactly. So I think for me, a lot of that getting stigmas was having community that helped me get over them. And I think just time. Yeah. Just time and, like, people being sweet, people being, like, People recognizing other strengths. For example, I was a personal trainer for a while. Recognizing like my muscles looked great or my body looked great. Like they were recognizing my strengths. I speak Spanish. So recognizing the other things that are huge parts of who I am and complimenting those things or and reinforcing how amazing they are, it, it makes alopecia smaller. Though. Yeah. Because I think when you first have alopecia, alopecia is like, huge and all-encompassing and literally affects pretty much every area of your life at first and so i think developing those other strengths having people recognize those other strengths i'm very much someone that unfortunately needs reassurance and recognition and things like that so i think that really helped me Uh, but the way i handle it now i think just over time has become so small that's the biggest thing to me is it's tiny in my life now yeah, it, it's so, so insignificant compared to what it used to be. But that's what's so much fun. So much. Fun. Oh, yeah. Same thing with me. In the beginning of my journey, I still had all the insecurities, the self-doubt. And especially after losing my mom and going through the healing journey and getting into therapy, I didn't realize how much of myself I didn't know. And then there yeah. There were things about myself that I was pushing away and didn't want to accept. But now as I'm going through uh, taking better care of myself mentally, I'm re-embracing things that I truly enjoy, but it has nothing to do with alopecia. Right. Right. Now I'm at the point with my alopecia where it's, it's easy for me to walk around and not really care what people think and going to work every day. Most of my colleagues that I work with, they never ask me about it. I, there's a lot of al- people that walk with alopecia that go, man, I go through so much explanation fatigue. And for me, and I think because of where I've come to, 
I actually have experienced the opposite. I have non-explanation fatigue. No one really asks me about it. They just see me. They go, hey, Jen, how's it going? How you feeling? And they alopecia is not like this. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Get you. Like, Jen's here. Right. I think that's why I started trying to reach out to people again and do things like this podcast because I don't get a lot of chance to explain. I don't get a lot of chance to share my story anymore. And I think I needed a few years of just being without having to deal with explaining it. But now Mm -hmm. it's sort of like, no, Karen, you're one of the few. And I think the numbers of us that have fully accepted are growing, but like you're one of the few that has gotten to this point. And yeah. having been at like the alopecia camp last month, I, I was shocked at how I was reminded, not shocked. I was reminded of how big the struggle. Yeah. And so I, I needed that reminder. And so it's like, Karen, you're one of the people that it's not really a struggle for anymore. You should be talking about that. You should be able to encourage others along their journey. And that's why I started doing print podcasts, speaking at the camp as well, because I was like, you know, you hid for a while you were going through the journey. And that was tough. Part of the and, process. Right. And there was a while where I was like, oh, you should, like, you know, really gung-ho about explaining and educating. And then other things took over and that's perfectly fine. But I was like, now you have space in your life. Now you have mental space. You have time to do stuff like this. Get back into it. Can be a very encouraging and helpful thing um, for others and there's more people than I realized that are still on the journey places that I know are really really tough for me and so I want to be able to be someone that can them through that yeah for us and for those of us who have come to that place of acceptance especially since we're I can't assume about you, but you can confirm this. For me, up in my community where I live for many, many years, that I was the only one with alopecia. I didn't meet anyone with alopecia until um, very recently, about almost a year and a half ago for the first time. And it was quite an experience being someone who's now in her 30s, actually meeting someone with alopecia in person for the first time. Never had that. So I think it's easy for us to feel we're the only ones. And to what you said, now that you're getting out there more and branching out more, realizing, wow, there's still a lot of people who are in this place that are not here yet that I can help. Yes. I've met a few people along the way that have allocation. Like I've worked in a lot of jobs where there's like random customers that come through or things like that. So I'll bump bump into people here and there. I've had more experience helping, unfortunately, I've had more experience helping women who have been diagnosed with cancer and chemo. That that seems to be more what I've been able to help women with, the losing the hair process. Yeah. Uh, but now that I'm getting out there a little more, putting my story out there, especially going to the Salopecia camp where there's a ton of kids. There's one actually who lives here in Baltimore where I live. Just trying to like get a community again of people because it's really important. I, I actually have had some people stop me in the gym too. There was a, I forgot, there was a young kid who stopped me and he had alopecia. And you just sort of like eye each other for a while, like size each other out. And he started talking to me, but <laughs> it's, it's a thing though, because you don't know if the person one has alopecia or maybe has cancer or chose to shave their head because they felt like it. It's like, uh, how and do then you don't know if they want to talk about it or not. 
That's another thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm happy you talked to me. I, we awkwardly glanced at each other for way too long. And then finally, we came over. Because <laughs> I just, I never want to assume that someone's ready to have a conversation about it. Especially in the end, you know, maybe he wants people to just think he's shaped his head. But I know that. But, you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing for us who walk through this journey. We learned right away or maybe not so right away, but very quickly to be respectful of other people's boundaries. And that's a hard thing to do sometimes to what you're saying. You know, you see someone and you want to talk to them, but it's like, I don't know if I should. I don't know if they're ready for that. Right. That's just hard to gauge. And it's so interesting how I, there's, there's stigmas with people who don't have alopecia but then there's stigmas with us within the community to a certain degree. I think there are for sure. Like, oh, she's not appealed. She still wears it. Or mm-hmm. he must really be struggling because he will never take off his head. And it's like, no, maybe just some people prefer that. And that's okay. It's their personal style. Right. We all had a personal style with hair. And now we're discovering our personal style without hair. Right. And ultimate confidence or ultimate self-awareness does not mean that you're willing to go bald every day. No. That's something I really struggle with sort of judging, like, mm-hmm. she really must still be really bad for having Alicia. No, she really just likes to wear wigs. She thinks they're a fun accessory or, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, that, yeah, there's definitely, I have those, uh, my own stigmas for sure. Oh, yeah. I have to be careful with myself, too, because it's easy for me, I think, sometimes. Because one of the things and I and this is what we were talking about before, I'm coming from a good, honest place, but I have to watch myself. I would love for everyone who has alopecia to stop wearing wigs and doing all these things. But then at the same time, like Jen, no, that's their personal journey. That's their personal style. They're just having fun being different like you are having fun being different. It doesn't have to look the same. There's, it doesn't, there doesn't have to be a cookie cutter thing to this. Right. Yes, that's the hard part. I sort of get this like, no, every alopecia bald so that we can like, you know, let people know what it is. And if you're hiding under a wig, how is anyone ever going to know you're going to have alopecia? And like. Why do they have to? Exactly. Exactly. It's like. No one has to know that person has alopecia ever. Just like you wouldn't go up to people randomly and be like, I have diabetes. Like, you're not going to worry. If that's something you're happy to broadcast. <laughs> right. Right. And if you are happy to broadcast it, then great. And if you're not, then great. But I struggle with being judgmental of like, oh, why are they hiding it? Or, you know, why can't they just come out and be strong like me? And it's like, you have That's, to remind yourself, well, you're there once too. Right. And just because they don't have the same look as you, they're not as strong. Or they're exactly. not as as the alopecia as you are. Yeah. That I do show that sometimes. It just shows that we're all imperfectly perfect. Exactly. And no one is normal. No. Who came up with this definition of cookie cutter normal? That could be a deep dive for sure. Oh, big time. <laughs> oh, my golly. With your career and the way you're getting back in, involved in the community, how has that changed the way you help people because of your alopecia? 
if that's a fair question. Um, I think I just wasn't. I help people for my job. <laughs> I'm a social worker and I work with immigrant trafficking survivors and I do a lot of volunteering in my community. And so I think I was sort of all helped out. Mm. So, and like I said, alopecia just wasn't, isn't something that you think of. And so I really do think it was like sort of a God prompt, like a God guided sort of like, hey, you should reach out to Jen at Children's Alopecia Project about addressing, I forget why, it hit me, but it hit me that parents were, and just re, I don't know, it resurfaced like that I hated that parents were so pushy about their children's treatment, getting treatment, helping them. Look yeah. Out. And not addressing the mental health side of it and just letting the child be the child, whether that was like having treatment or not having treatment. Right. So I have out to death and I was just like, hey, let me great to emphasize more the mental health side. I'm a social worker, I have a license. And, and so it was like from there, the ball just started rolling. And I was on the Ball Drills, I think is what it's called, Ball Drills Project. Oh, yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, so I was on their podcast. I spoke at the alopecia camp. I reconnect, like I connected, not reconnected. I connected with a bunch of people that had alopecia at the camp. So it's been snowballed since then. Mm. Um, now, will I ever be my friend, the Allison, who had like a whole line of journals that she does coaching and her whole Instagram is all alopecia. That's not me. And I felt guilty at times that like alopecia is me and why am I not doing more advocacy but that's a whole other, other stigma <laughs> right I have other passions that I have that are more forefront in my than alopecia is but for her that's the forefront thing that she advocates for and that's amazing for her and it's fine that it's not what I but I think I tend to take I'm passionate about this and this and this, and they should all be just charging for it at all times, full speed. And like, that's impossible, first of all. Um, and it's exhausting. And so it's like, you need to let them, you don't need to force the advocacy, I think, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I don't want to force that. I understand that too, because I know with me, and this is, Again, this is another conversation, a whole nother conversation about this. It's so easy when you um, follow people in your community that have alopecia and you can see everything that they're doing to push advocacy for alopecia, which is a good thing. And we do need that. But then it's also OK to recognize that's probably not the path I meant to do it in that way and doing it more uniquely. Because for me. I want alopecia to be a household name. I want it to come to the point where people look at me. They don't go, oh, she has cancer. Oh, she's just being who she is. Right. And it's accepted. But then finding how do I do that in my unique way? So, yeah, I have a podcast. But then the way I show up in my life and other areas that I have interest in, I'm a nerd. I do things in the nerd world. I love talking about Star Wars for it. So, and then showing up as my authentic self where I don't, for me, and I don't say this to make anyone feel bad, but I just, I go everywhere ball. I really don't wear anything on my head anymore. And that could be my own unique way to advocate. It's just me just showing up and being myself. And it's not even part of the conversation. Right. It's me showing up, talking to a group of people about a subject. And that's what it is. It's just right. about 
the subject. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm the same way. I rarely wear anything on my head except for like sun purposes or cold purposes. <laughs> I don't do it to ever like cover up except for, you know, I'll breathe. So I, yeah, I think it is. I mean, it's, it's so nice. And I think it's so good to show the younger people that have alopecia. It's so good to show them. And I really felt that Camp Lake. I have so many strengths and so many things I'm good at. And I'm still existing in a very big way in this world, despite having alopecia. Like, mm-hmm. it is in no way hindering my life at this point. It, right. it did for a long time. It does. It does. I at the beginning and but here's where we can say that's normal right right well and it's not my alopecia that's hindering me it's my insecurity around xyz or it's my geographic location i can't feel married the guy in california because i'm here in baltimore you know it's, it's other things yeah the alopecia does not have to be the defining hindrance of your life other things will be there to do that for you what put on a t-shirt <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. true. Yeah, I think we tend to be like, oh, this didn't work out because I had alopecia, or this did do this XYZ because I have alopecia. And especially at first, it feels that way. It really does. Oh, yeah. I actually worked in an elementary school for a short time, and I have done many different ventures where I work with kids because that's something I'm passionate about. I love working with kids. I'm a mentor to young girls in an alopecia community called Baltarage, and I love my girls. Oh yeah. So that's just one of my niches I enjoy doing. And um, it's very easy to think that alopecia is defining your life and the way you're walking out your life when it really isn't. It could just be, that's just not the right path for you. Right. That was just not the right thing for you. There's something different that's better and it has nothing to do with your hair loss. And sometimes, like, and that's part of the healing and part of the growing and learning. You ha- you kind of have to stop using the alopecia as a crutch. There you I go. I felt that big time at the camp because I have never been in a group of alopecians that large. It was like hundreds, 150 probably. Not everyone there had alopecia, but the large majority of people had alopecia. And I found myself feeling very overwhelmed by the fact that I was no longer that bald girl that people could just pick out in a instant. Isn't that fun? It was so weird. It was such a bizarre experience. Um, and so I was wow, this is this is really interesting and, and like it helps me realize people recognize me and people know me and people like me, not because I'm this unusual, like alopecia and like that can for some people be what they recognize or about they recognize my smile or my laugh or my eyes or just my personality in general and I felt like in my community at least here and where I live maybe I was trying to use alopecia as, as a leg up not as a crutch necessarily but as a leg oh. up and that that was a very interesting thing that just like boom hit me so hard and I think it is a leg up sometimes. It does make you super recognizable. I'll see kids in my community and I don't necessarily recognize them, but like, oh, we saw you. Or, you know, and it's like, oh, wow. It, it can be a leg up. And I think 
that was just an interesting, weird experience. I remember an experience that I had a couple years ago after I moved to New York. I went down back to where I lived previously and visited some friends for a girls weekend and had a great time. And it came to the point where I had to go home and I went to the airport. And that day at the airport, the line through security was really long and I couldn't find where the line started. I was uh-huh. looking for it and I just couldn't find where it was at because I had to get a line because I, I had to catch a flight. <laughs> yeah. And I went up to this woman who work, worked at the airport and I saw where there was a line and I asked her, I said, hey, is that the correct place to go through security? Mm-hmm. And pointing to the long line. She looked at me. She went, yeah, just go right ahead. Then I got on the line. And as I started going through the line, I realizing, why am I not weaving in and out with that line? Mm-hmm. I looked around and I realized. I just went through the, me- the special medical line at the airport. Oh my God. And. I was honestly, that was one of the moments where I said to myself, you know what? I'm grateful for my bald head because that line was three hours. I just got through this line in 45 minutes. Thank you, Alopecia. Yeah, exactly. But it's one of those moments that do happen where people just look at you and assume, and I had a leg up and them. It It helped me out, but that was not my intention. It was really weird that, wow. The only reason why I got through this line is because I was bald. Yeah. That messed with your head. It does. I do love accepting. Like, I, I talked, I think, on the other podcast as one about bald perks. Like, there I, are tons of bald perks. Tons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will not deny a bald perk. You choose to be ignorant or exactly and want to give me a perk. Like, that's on you. And that is fine. I'm not going to deny. I really love that perk at the airport. I got to security so much quicker and I didn't miss my flight. Yay! It works. It works out really yeah. well. Not like I'm trying to go though. Like it just, the way I went. But the person made their choice and deciding, oh, she has cancer. Yeah, let me give her a break. Go through the line. Right. Exactly. That was it. One other thing I wanted to go back and talk on is the experience you had in your relationship. You said earlier that you started losing your hair just before your wedding day, but everything worked out and that you were still happy. But then even after the wedding day, you were still struggling with a partner who didn't support you in the way you needed. What was that like for you with someone walking through an alopecia journey where you're struggling to recognize yourself but then also rediscovering yourself at the same time. Oh, the journey was stacked. It was very much just stopped. Uh, I got into the best shape of my life physically. And there were way many other issues with that relationship beyond just the alopecia. Uh, but at that point in my life, the alopecia was just that there was no longer a journey. It was, this is what I do. I wear a wig. I'll wear them at home sometimes. I worked really long hours and then a really long commute at that point. And so I'd be wearing a wig close to 14 hours a day. Oh, I got home, ripped that thing off. But also, no, he likes staying here. 
he likes seeing me look normal. And so it it was a struggle. It was very much a struggle. And so I thought, well, let me do this. Like, let me get in reach or let me do my makeup really well. You know, like there were all the things I tried to substitute to make myself more appealing. Feeling um, feminine. Yeah. Yeah, feminine and just desire, really. And, mm-hmm. and I know it wasn't consciously like he's going, oh, she has allocation, she's not desirable. There were also personality conflict, you know, like there were bigger things that just that. But that can be a thing, too, for someone with hair loss, because I know I've struggled with that. And I, it still comes up for me where you do wonder, do people look at me and see me as a beautiful woman or do they just see no hair? Yeah, I don't feel that as much anymore. I think, and I, I recognize this at the camp, like, none of my roommates had eyebrows cut. And I think I would really struggle I would not. I would not feel nearly as feminine. I would not feel nearly as beautiful. And I don't mean that as any shade towards those who don't have them. They're not less beautiful because they don't. But my own personal internal struggle would be that. I can speak to that because even though I have come to this point of acceptance with my alopecia, because I am human, I still struggle with that because I don't have eyebrows. I don't have eyelashes. And I have come to the point where I do recognize it is triggering something else. But that's something we struggle with. Seeing the femininity that's still there. And I, yeah, I definitely agree with that because I, there's nothing more beautiful to me. It's like beautiful eyelash. No, I think has society taken it way over the top with all these fillers and extensions and all of the things that go along today's eyelashes. I think it's very much overdone as those things are damaged. But also looking at those girls that were my roommates at the camp, like they were stunning. I was sort of jealous of how they looked and they didn't have eyebrows or eyelashes or their eyebrows were tattoos or their eyelashes were fake and they looked amazing. Yeah. And I felt very shallow thinking that if I didn't have my eyebrows and eyelashes, I would really struggle. And I didn't have them for a while. That was also during the wake phase. So that was huge. But yeah, I think I would really struggle at this point if they fell back out. It would not be. No, it's not. Every time I put on mascara, I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. <laughs> Just, yeah. Because I don't get it. It doesn't make sense that I would have them. But I'm so thankful that I do. Yeah, for me, and I I say this all the time, that if I could choose one thing hair-wise to always have that would never fall out, it would be my eyelashes. I can handle the no brows, but definitely the eyelashes. If I could get that with, with a Thanos, if you will, with the snap of a finger, I would take it. Yeah, um, I remember not the day, but I remember the experience I had when I lost my eyelashes. Mm. That morning when I woke up, I still had my eyelashes and I put on mascara. Then I went to work, had a lunch break, went outside and I kept saying to myself, why is the sun so bright today? Why is the, it wasn't like this before? It, why is it so bright? Is it just really clear? Did the ozone layer clear up? What is going on? Mm. And 
the whole day, I couldn't figure it out. I was struggling to keep my eyes open. Yeah. I got home and I looked in the mirror. My lashes were gone. They oh. fell out during the day. No one said anything to me. I can't tell you how many people must have looked at me and the way they acted that everything was normal. I would, mm. I was so shocked when I got home. And the fact that it, like, even when I think about it now, wow, no one said anything. Wow. Mm. That is very tough. Yeah. But anyway, I want to go back to um, the relationship piece. Yeah. How did you navigate that and come to your point of healing where you were like, okay, I'm done. This is not healthy for me anymore. Look at divorce. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I can laugh at it now. Plenty of time. No, divorce is never a funny thing. No, but honestly, because of the marriage, but he was one of the most toxic people in my life. Mm. If we were boyfriend and girlfriend, I would have taken a marriage. But it, I mean, a divorce, I would have taken a breakup, though. To me, there was no convincing him of my value. Oh, wow. Even with hair, there were so many other issues. The value would have never, I never would have felt valued mm. by that person. And so I think that's, I still struggle because I was so loyal for so long, which is a good thing. But also putting my value in others' hands, like I think that played a lot into it. And so I'm even still learning as I date here and there. My value is not defined by others. My value is not defined by my looks. If someone cannot see my value beyond the allocation, they're not for me then. I'm not going to try and convince them. I'm not going to try and explain that to them. This is who I am. Just as if he had a pot belly or, you know, I don't know, whatever he might have that I enjoy, I would have to learn to accept. And that would not mean that he needed to explain it to me. Oh, I have a big belly because I drink a six pack every day. I would just have to be okay with it without explanation. And so I think for me, it, it still plays in a lot of times to like the dating world, plays into like, I honestly, when I went online dating, if a man asked anything about my hair, I immediately unmatched. Wow. Yeah. About but, that. Let's park there. Yeah. Because for me, to him, it's such a big deal that he has to ask me about it. Mm. First of all, if I was in cancer treatments, don't you think I would say something? think it's a little misleading to be on a dating site with a bald head. I had one man say, is there something you need to tell me about yourself? And I was like, excuse me? I felt that in my spine and my Puerto Rican side wants to come out. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it indicates, and maybe I'm incorrect sometimes, but to me, it indicates that they have an issue or that it is a big deal. You triggered insecurity. Yes. And so if that is something that is a problem for you, that's not going to work. So I will just immediately unmatch. Now, if we're in person and we've met and we've talked 
and maybe I say I have an alopecia route. That's totally different than someone just forthright. What's going on with your hair? Why did you shave your head? And even if they assume, like, why did you shave your head? Well, why is your hair spiky? Like, what are we asking about this? Why is your why hair are... black? Why is your yeah. hair brown? Exactly. And so why are you a ginger? <laughs> yeah. To me, it indicates that there is just something bigger about it to them. And I'm not willing to deal with someone again that it's a big deal to. That's very valid. And one, bravo you. Applause. Thank you. <laughs> and we, we don't say all this to not say there's not a place for those conversations. Because Correct. There is a place to have that conversation because for anyone, for any secure, healthy person that chooses to enter a dating romantic relationship with someone who has hair loss you have to have the conversation of you're going to get questions Mm -hmm. people are going to look at us look at you then look at me and still try to figure out how does two plus two still equal four in this relationship exactly they may assume oh wow she has cancer and he's still in a relationship with her good for him there's going to be assumptions and stigmas even within that like I said before, there is a place to have those conversations, but just not right out the gate going, so what's wrong with you? Yeah, that's basically how it feels. It's like, no, if you think there's something wrong, then we're already like on pages. So <laughs> as one of my friends says as she dates, next, please. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, for I- sure. So one last question for you, Karen. I really enjoyed this conversation. What three words of encouragement or a couple things that come to your mind would you encourage someone who either just got the diagnosis with alopecia or is in the middle of it and is struggling right now? All right. Uh, the thing that comes to mind is more than three, but it's an acronym that I gave you on my, when I spoke at the alopecia camp. Continue to be brave. We are always brave. Living life in general, with or without Tisha diagnosis, you're being brave. Life is hard. Life is messy. Life is terrible at times. It's also very wonderful. So the brave acronym, see if I can remember it. Be bold. Be real. Be active. Be visible and be encouraged. That's my word of advice. That would be my encouragement. To continue to be brave. And you can take those words, that acronym, and apply whatever you want to them. Of course, when I give my talk, I delve deeper into each one. But continue to be brave because you can. You can. That's it. I love that. Can you just go through the acronym one more time, please? Sure. So be brave. Be bold. Be real. Be active. Be visible. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. Karen, thank you so much for joining me today. I am I am so happy we got to have this conversation. I really appreciate your time and hearing your story is so encouraging and I know it's gonna help a lot of people. So thank you. Yes, thank you. And hopefully we'll be in a person. Uh yeah, we're totally planning that. <laughs> <laughs>